Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. We are getting close to the end. In fact, today we will be finishing up in 1 Thessalonians. We started this message series back the middle of July. So it's taken us a couple of, couple of months to get through five chapters of 1 Thessalonians, a relatively short book. We're going to continue next week. We'll start 2 Thessalonians. So we're going to continue verse, uh, uh, what we started uh, this, this back in July. We're going to continue now through the end of the, probably the fall. Um, if you remember, we called this sermon series Deliverance. And the reason we did, and you can take a look at your notes, um, is because of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. And that says that, that uh, we wait for the Son of God from heaven, who was raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, one of the things that Paul talked about often in 1 Thessalonians, and we'll see it also in 2 Thessalonians, is the coming of the Lord. The day of the Lord. It's called all different kinds of things. Sometimes it's called the, the, the day of the wrath of the Lord. Sometimes we look, people talk about Armageddon. They talk about uh, the seven years of tribulation. But Paul says that we are to take comfort in this. We're to take comfort in it. This is not something that's supposed to be scary. It's not something that's supposed to frighten us. It's something that we're to be ready for. But at the same time, we take comfort in us. Jesus said, he said, behold, I'm going away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if it were not so, I would not tell you, but I go to prepare a place for you, and I will return for you, from, for you, receive you to myself, and then we will go together to my Father's house. So that's a promise. That's something that we look forward to. It's something that, that's encouraging for us to be able to be with the Lord. Wouldn't you love it that the, if the Lord was actually in charge, we didn't have to have elections anymore. We wouldn't have to worry about the Supreme Court or the President or the Council of Nations. We would just have the Lord saying, nope, this is the way that it should be. I'm looking forward to that day for sure. So last week, um, Paul continued speaking primarily of prophecy. Um, and remember he said that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and security destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Now, Pastor Ken, you just said we're not supposed to worry about these things. Well, that's right because Paul continued. He says, you are not in darkness. You are sons of the light. You're sons of the light. So there's something different about us, people that know the Lord that take their encouragement in knowing that we are bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's a, that's, a, that's a promise to us as well as an encouragement to us. So last week, we, we finished uh, last week's message with these words. It says, God has not appointed us to suffer wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage and build one another up just as you are already doing. So these are words of encouragement. Even though it's prophetic, and Paul talks often about the second coming, these are all to be an encouragement for us. So today we're going to finish up chapter 5. We're going to go through uh, uh, verses 12 through 28, which is the end of chapter 5. And the message today I have entitled, The Will of God. Now, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? The will of God. Don't you wonder sometimes what the will of God is for your life? 
Wouldn't that be interesting? Well, let's, let's read and see what the Paul has to say for us today. So starting in verse 12, Paul says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brothers, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is both good for yourselves and for all. So that's how Paul starts off, talking about the will of God for our life. Now, one of the most uh, asked questions of all times, literally of all times, there's eight, and you can kind of break it up into two different pieces, and you can kind of Google this. You want know to Google this? You get on your computer and you Google things, and you can Google what is the will of God for my life. And there's like three trillion times that, that, that comes up, all kinds of information on it. People ask wise men, they, they travel up mountains and they ask the wise man about the purpose of their life. They're looking for the purpose of life and the will of God. Um, um, the, the, there was a book called um, uh, there was a book called The Purpose Driven Life. Rick Warren, a pastor out at Saddleback Church on in California, wrote The Purpose Driven Life. Did you read the book? Anybody read the book? There's there's a lot of you, right? There was like 25, 30 million copies of the book that was sold. It was it was it was published back about 25 years ago. I remember when it first came out, and everybody bought a copy because we want to know what the purpose of our life is. That's one of the questions people ask. What am I supposed to do? What why am I here? What am I supposed to do? Well, well, that book was really interesting. Not only was it a great book, it actually talked a lot about the purpose of your life, but it started off with these words, it's not about you. <laughs> See, it's not about you. The will of God for your life is very much like the will of God for my life. We're very much alike. There's over 250 places in the Old Testament and the New Testament that gives us encouragement, admonitions, okay? It gives us exhortations about how God wants you to live. This is how God wants you to live. And this is the will of God for our life. It's these, these collective greetings by the prophets and by the apostles of this is how God wants you to live. So. One of the things that's, uh, that, that, like I said, Rick Warren said, it's not about you. So let's take a look at what Paul had to say a little bit in these, in these verses. First, Paul mentions, he says, those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, who are these people? Well, they're your pastors, right? I'm not talking about me, but your pastors. Wherever you went to church, those people were over you. You were, you were subject to their authority. They had some, you, had, you were accountable to your local church, your local elders, your pastors, your deacons, the people that have, of authority. They had a, a, a authority over you. Paul says that they labor. That means not just Sunday, okay? But every day they labor for you. They're praying for you. They're encouraging you. They're visiting the sick. They're doing all the work that God wants them to do. They're basically equipping the church. They're teaching you so that you can be more like God. And it says they are over you, meaning that they have authority. Did you know that the Bible says that it's good for us to be under authority? All of us are under authority. I remember a time when I, when I was with Ford Motor Company, I always had a boss. No matter how high I went up in the company, there was even a guy I knew, true story, I knew him very well, his name was Etzel Ford. Good friend of mine. 
His kids are about my, my, my kids' age. Um, I, know, I knew him for about 20 years. The whole time I was at Ford Motor Company, he was over in Australia for a while, came back, and we kind of crossed paths a number of times. He was like my boss's boss's boss, but I knew him pretty well. He was a nice guy. And he was under authority. He was under authority. One of the things they did at Ford Motor Company, true story, is they always talked about the grown-ups. It's kind of like the way they talked about it. They would say, well, well who, who gave us this rule? Why did things change? Why did HR start changing things? Why did they change the parking lot? And they always, the, the comment was, it was the grown-ups. The grown-ups made the rules. So see, we were all under authority. Even Etzel Ford, his name was on the building. But he was still under authority. And it's good to be under authority. We want to have structure in our life. For us, there was a time when I left Ford Motor Company, and Carol kind of knew what I was doing. She knew that I was kind of gravitating towards ministry. This is where I was headed. But there was a period of time that I was not under any authority other than my wife. I mean, there's, you've always got that. Oh, men know that. You're always under authority. There's always somebody that's in charge. I'm so thankful that it's my wife. But it was not good for me. It wasn't good for me to kind of be listless, to be able to kind of make all of my own rules, to have, have nobody that I was accountable to. And I was so glad that was within a, a short period of time I joined a church. I went on staff at a church. And even though I was the executive pastor, I still had, I was still accountable to the senior pastor. I was still accountable to the board of directors. I was still accountable to the elders. And it's good to have authority in your life, to be subject to some authority. Now, of all the people, of all the people and the institutions that you find yourself subject to, actually, your local pastor at your local church is a good one to be subject to. Because we as pastors are encouraged to restore people, to encourage people, never to have a critical tongue, but to admonish them, to encourage them in a way that leads to not only forgiveness, but also to restoration. That's not true always of every institution, but that's supposed to be true of the church. It's always to be true of the church. Paul, the Apostle Peter, wrote in 1 Peter, he says, that by doing good, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men as be free, but don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. You see, in, in Christ Jesus, we are no longer subject to the laws of sin and death. We're no longer subject to those laws. There's 10 commandments, right? There's 10 commandments. There's not any more than 10, but even the 10 are difficult to all do. But aren't you glad that we're no longer under bondage? We're no longer under bondage. If we fail, if we fall down, people will help us get up. We can be forgiven, okay? But we're not to use that freedom, that freedom, to be a license to be able to do evil, to not follow the will of God. So let's go on. Paul says in these words that I just gave you, um, hold on a second, I'm sorry. He says, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that when no one renders evil for evil, but always pursue what is good. Now, these are six things. Now, the question is, many people have, did Paul just add six more commandments? We had ten. Did he give us six more? And the answer is no. These are, these are admonitions. They're encouragements, okay? These are things that are strongly encourage us to do, but they're not the same as commandments. At the same time, we are to take them seriously. We take them seriously. You know, it's kind of like, like if you knew how to get to a certain place, and you knew that there was two or three different roads that went there, but the one road that is the shortest road actually goes over a bridge and the bridge is out. You would say... I admonish you, I encourage you, don't take what you think is the shortest route because you'll find when you get there that you can't get there from here. 
because the bridge is out. Now that's an encouragement, right? Can they go that way if they want to? Of course they can. They can go that way, but at their own peril because they're going to find that the bridge is out. They're either going to do one of two things. They're either going to drive their car right into the river or they're going to have to turn around and come back and start over again. It's an encouragement. It's an admonition. This is the thing that you should do. You should do. You're free to do whatever you want to, but it's more than a suggestion, isn't it? It's more, I'm not just suggesting you might want to take the road on the right. I'm telling you, you don't want to take the one on the left. So let's continue. Verse 16, Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. There it is, the will of God in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, Paul said these are exhortations, exhortations. He says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's exactly why I titled my topic today, The Will of God. Now, what happens is this, is so often when people really want to know what the will of God is, or they buy the purpose-driven life, trying to find their purpose in life, what are they trying to find? Well, they're trying to get an answer to a question, something that's on their heart, some decision they're trying to make. And what are they usually about? about their career, about a job choice, whether you're supposed to move to the new job in Syracuse, for example, should I buy the new house, honey, or the smaller house, should I get the big one, or the small one, or maybe every few years you go out and get the car, do you get the Lincoln with all the goodies on it, or do you stick with the little Focus, I mean, what, do you, what kind of car do you get, what kind of job do you have, maybe it's about marriage, should I get married? Should I get remarried, you know? Should I divorce this guy, right? I mean, these are the questions people often have about the will for God. But see, the, all they're trying to do, really do is get God's stamp of approval on a decision they already want to make. And that's really not what the will of God is. As I mentioned at the very beginning, the will of God in your life is very similar to the will of God in my life. And, and Paul talked about it. He said, comfort those who are afraid. Defend the weak. Be patient. Pursue what's good. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. And then he says, abstain from every form of evil. Now, abstain from every form of evil is an encouragement. You want to stay away from those things that are evil. It's not a commandment. Oh, my goodness, because your definition of what might be evil is different than my definition of what might be evil. So it's an encouragement. You know, as you're walking along this life, stay away from those things that are going to lead you into trouble. It's like the old joke. You know, my, my, my uncle, my Uncle Joe, he was a magician because he could walk down the street and turn into a bar. It's amazing. <laughs> Turn into a bar. Get it? A magician. Got it. <laughs> Got it. So Paul says, this is the will of God for your life. It's, it's, God's will, by the way, is always selfless. It's never selfish. It's always selfless. It's less of me, more of you. How, well, how can God direct my life so that you get the best part of me? I want to make sure that you get the best part of me. You know, it's interesting. I don't do much marriage counseling now, um, but I always had, when people came in for marriage counseling as a pastor, I always told them, first of all, I'm not a very good marriage counselor. I'm really not. I mean, I'm a pretty good pastor, but I'm not a good marriage counselor because most marriage counselors want to do things like fair fighting and they work on words and trigger words and all this psychological type of stuff. And if, and if you like that stuff, God bless you, but it just doesn't do anything. I always 
really good at that. But, but what, I, what, I find, what I find so often is that what they want to do is they, they're not interested so much in a 100% gift of themselves. They want to know what their 50% is. They think of the marriage as a partnership where they give 50 and the other person gives 50. And that's not it at all. You need to give it all. You always honor your spouse. You always want to make sure they get the bigger piece of cake. You always want to make sure that they go first. You always want to be able to, to honor your, your spouse, honor your husband, and honor your wife. I mean, let them be better. Give them the very best part of you. And that's what the will of God is actually for, for all of us. You know, years ago, my daughter was around seven, maybe, I think she was eight, maybe seven years old. And my wife decided that it would be good for her to take pony lessons. <laughs> what kid doesn't like pony lessons, right? I mean, that's, that's, like going, that's like going to the amusement park, right? So she took her to, she took her to our, our local riding stable. And uh, she took a pony lesson and came back with all kinds of brochures on buying a horse, you know, and buying a pony and having pony lessons. And, you know, they had lessons. They had 16 weeks. They had 32 weeks. They had 60. Oh, my goodness. They had all these kinds of things. And it's like I could already see the writing on the wall. You know, I, I knew where this, this ship had already sailed, okay? I, my daughter was all excited about riding ponies. So that was actually a big part of her life. From the time she was seven to the time she was about 18 years old, that's what she did. Now, she also did church, and she was a good student. So I didn't mind you know, spending the money and, uh, and all of the time that it took to make sure that she did hunter-jumper lessons and went to the meets and the games and traveled and all that kind of stuff because she was good at it. And also, my wife liked it. My, my, my wife wanted that for her daughter. So I wanted that for my daughter as well. Well, one of the things with our kids is that we always tried to make sure that it was God first. God first, then family, okay, then everything else. And in that God first, we wanted to make sure that when they were very young, they learned scripture verses, they understood the scripture verses. And one of the lessons that they were taught uh, was from a cartoon character called Salty. Do you remember Salty? Anybody remember Salty? Salty was a hymnal, okay? It was a blue book on a cartoon, and he would sing hymns. Um, for those of you that have a Presbyterian background, for example, or a Christian Reformed background, they always had a psalter because they sang the hymns. And they would sing hymns and Proverbs. And one of the songs that my kids learned when they were like three and four years old was out of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Well, I mentioned my daughter, but my son really got into this. He was only maybe four years old at the time. And I saw him walking down the street or walking down the sidewalk, and he'd kind of have his hands out. He tried to be balancing himself so that he was walking a straight path. And that's what he, because to this verse, he said, God is going to make my path straight. And he knew that the idea was to go straight, go straight. Don't go, don't veer off to the left or the right. I love that. I love that. So anyway, back to my daughter. So my daughter turns about 10 years old and has already had a lot of accomplishments and done well on ponies. But she's a big girl, and they tell me that she's now ready for a horse. <laughs> oh, brother. So she's ready for a horse. But horses are expensive, so we've got to find a horse that's a young horse, okay, that has some good moves and things like that that she can help train. But Because I can't afford, really. She's got a lot more talent than I have money. I mean, that's the bottom line. I can't afford the horse that she really wants. So we get this horse. And it's a good horse. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thoroughbred horse. It's a beautiful horse. And its name is Lady Chatterley. <laughs> now, in our household, that's going to be a problem, okay? 
for those of you who don't know why some people are laughing is because there was a book that was out maybe 30 years ago called Lady Chatterley's Lover. And it was banned in like 45 of the 50 states, okay? So, so I was aware of the book. I hadn't read the book, but I was aware of the book. And I said, Heather, you can have the horse, but we can't keep the name Lady Chatterley. It's got to it's have another name, you know? So, so we came up with a bunch of names. And of course, I'm always recommending Bible names, you know, Moses and Joshua and stuff like that. It's a female horse. And I came across the name Micah. And Heather liked Micah. And I said, okay, Micah's going to be the name, and I want you to learn Micah 6, 8. I want you to learn Micah 6, 8, because like Micah 6, 8, like the Proverbs before it, talks about the will of God in your life. Micah 6, 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. You see, this is an encouragement. It was an encouragement for my daughter. So she had to learn that. And she, if you see my daughter today, she still lives in, celebra she lives in celebration. She's 41 years old. She's very tall, very pretty. Um, just say, what's Micah 6.8? And she will know the verse, okay? She'll, she'll know the verse. These kids had to learn these verses. But that's exactly what the will of God is, okay? It's to love justice. It's, it's to love mercy. It's to walk humbly with God. You see, that will for my daughter is the same that God's will for me. And if we do that well, it's like my son walking paths that are straight, walking straight line. Let's finish up. Verse 23. Paul says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and also will do it. Then Paul finishes up. He says, brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now, notice again before I shut it off that Paul again references the coming of the Lord. Again, this is a prophetic book. Paul is going to mention often the coming of the Lord because it's something that's on his mind. He wants to make sure that, that people understand as they try to do the will of God, understand that the Lord is coming back. Actually, I think understanding that the Lord is coming back at any time is a great way for you to make your path straight. To not deviate from the left or the right. To know that the Lord is coming back. That you're accountable to somebody. Ultimately, you are accountable to God. The Bible says that all will give an accounting of everything they've done. Everything they've done, both the good and the bad. Now, this is not a matter of salvation. We're not saved by our works, by what we do. Okay, we're free from the law of sin and death. But all of us are still accountable. All of the things we've done will be brought back up to our memory with the Lord. And some will be rewarded and some will lose their reward as well. Now, we really don't have the strength to do all of this on our own. It takes the Lord. That's why Paul said, may the peace of God himself sanctify you completely. This idea of sanctification is God's way of getting you to the place that you couldn't get to by yourself. God's sanctification allows you to do the will of God because you can't possibly do it on your own. Just like you couldn't possibly obey all the Ten Commandments. If you could, there would be no reason for Jesus to go to the cross. But you can't do it. But Paul said that God will sanctify you. He will give you the Spirit of God that allows you to perform the will of God. Paul said later to the Galatians, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now Paul closes this entire letter of 1 Thessalonians by asking for prayer. I love that. Paul the Apostle is asking for prayer for himself because Paul also is trying to, to live the straight path. He's trying to also fulfill the will of God for his life. And the will for, for Paul, the will of God for Paul's life is very much like the will of God for your life. And Paul asks for prayer. He sends his final greetings and charges that, and charges that this letter be read to all of the churches. That's how we got the epistles, by the way. These letters of Paul were read not only in the letter that we went to, but then copies were made. They were sent to other churches, and ultimately the church put them together, and we have the Bible today. These are the letters of Paul. That's why we have it today. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for this letter. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.